On Sunday mornings, we are looking at the gospel in Mark's gospel. Now, that may sound uh, a little strange because isn't this called the gospel of Mark? Uh, but what we mean by that is that we are not looking at all the verses in Mark's gospel. Uh, we are concentrating on those passages uh, that have to do with the basic message of Christianity which is called the gospel, the good news. And that doesn't always mean uh, the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That's the essence of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. But there are also challenges when we come uh, to uh, consider the gospel. And last time we were in Mark, we looked at one challenge in this chapter, which is about enduring to the end. How can I tell if I am really saved? Uh, it doesn't matter what we claim. It doesn't even matter what we have experienced. The only proof is that we carry on. He that endures to the end shall be saved. So if you've been walking with the Lord now for many, many years take encouragement from that because it shows that you are genuine. Uh, as many of you will know, I was saved in university when I was a student and many of those who had spectacular experiences made me feel as if I wasn't saved. They are nowhere now. It's that we're still here that matters. Now, in this chapter, Jesus is prophesying of two events. We noted that last time. And it's a very difficult sermon to try and bring the gospel out of. The Olivet's Discuss, it's called, because he preached it on the Mount of Olives. He's prophesying of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which took place about 30, 40 years after he spoke. And he's also prophesying about his second coming. And those two events are interwoven. And we're not interested in looking at the details. Uh, what I'm trying to get is the thrust of the message. You know what? Preaching isn't primarily about lecturing and just giving details. It's about a message, the thrust. And the thrust is take heed. Four times, Jesus says, be careful. And I want to look at one other gospel challenge in this Olivet Discourse this morning. And it's right at the end. And it's about being ready for his second coming. That's all I want us to consider this morning. I want to ask the question, are you ready? Am I prepared for this big event? And Jesus helps us. He gives a parable, uh, which we had in our reading, so I won't read all the parable again. Uh, verse 32 to the end. He gives this illustration from everyday life. Uh, a man, a landlord, uh, leaves his house, and he's got people living there, and he gives them tasks to do, and he tells them to be ready for when he comes back. And one of them is given the task to watch at the door 
for the landlord's homecoming. And Jesus says, watch therefore, verse 35, you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Now, uh, some of us can uh, understand this picture of uh, being tenants and living in a house with a landlord. When I was first living in Cardiff, uh, I didn't have my own house. Uh, I lived down in Roth, and we had a very strict landlord uh, who lived away, but one day a week he came and stayed in the house. And we made sure that we were on our best behavior that day. So this is the picture that Jesus Christ is using. So this world is a house. The earth is the Lord's. God is the landlord. You and I are not the masters of our own fates. We don't, as it were, um, control everything. And the church is the house of God. Uh, how many difficulties are caused, both in society and in the church, when we try to run the place as if we owned it? God is the owner. God is the one who made you, who made me, and we are accountable to him. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism, do you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Very famous uh, question and answer approach the first question what is man's chief end why are we in this world man's chief end is to glorify god and enjoy him forever and there's a lovely picture here about the landlord giving to each person different tasks god has made you unique uh, maybe uh, you're glad of that that there's only one you <laughs> uh, each of us are different we've all got different tasks even in the church and my task is to preach the word of jesus christ and my burden this morning the thrust if you like of the message is are we ready for the landlord's return now two questions i want to answer uh, and then we'll be done well we'll sing as well and then we'll be done the first question is this why is it so important for us to be ready? What's, what's so vital about this? My friends, the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be the most climactic event that this universe has ever seen. Do, do you believe that? Uh, if you look at the language that Jesus uses in this sermon, it's what we call apocalyptic language. So last time we looked, for example, at verse 8. Nation will rise against nation, so there'll be wars. There's been wars ever since uh, the first coming of Jesus Christ, and they've gradually got worse. And there will be earthquakes in various places. Well, there have always been earthquakes. And there will be famines and troubles and pandemics there have always been these things between the first and the second coming. There's nothing apocalyptic about those things. But if you look now at verse 19, uh, Jesus says, in those days, he's referring in the first place to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, when the Roman army are going to besiege the city. In those days, there will be tribulation such as not been seen 
since the beginning of the creation. And that destruction of Jerusalem is pointing forward to the destruction of the world. And this is what Jesus is saying. Yes, there have always been terrible things happening, but they are going to intensify before my second coming. It's going to be the greatest events. Uh, we haven't got time to look at it, but if you look at Old Testament passages like Joel, Haggai, Daniel, they use these apocalyptic terms. So, so if you look at the chapter we're in, verse 24, in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. This is poetic language now taken from those Old Testament books and it's going to describe something so awful that yes the moon will no longer give light and the sun will be darkened but it's much worse than that uh, the stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken mount snowdon the highest mountain in england and wales think of coronavirus which is one of the worst things I've had to endure as somebody who's never lived through a world war. Uh, you'll agree, it's quite something, isn't it? Think of coronavirus as Mount Snowden. And then the Alps. What would it have been like living through the Second World War? It's like the Alps in comparison, isn't it? To the Snowden of the coronavirus. Listen, my friends, the second coming of Jesus Christ the events, the apocalyptic events that will be then is like the Himalayas. And Mount Everest is Jesus Christ himself coming on the clouds of heaven. We weren't prepared for COVID-19, were we? Uh, I can remember <laughs> before lockdown joking. Uh, I was joking with some of you about... Uh, not shaking hands. Can, can you remember that time? We heard about this virus in China. And we heard that there were cases coming over here. But we didn't really take it seriously. We weren't really prepared. We're getting nearer to the second coming. And something like this virus is just the footsteps. Think of the Roman army approaching Jerusalem. The footsteps. You'd be stupid not to be ready for the most climactic events this world had ever seen, would you? I would be. Then there's something else which makes it so important. You know, we don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> I know I mentioned a friend, Chris Tapes, last time, who thought he could predict the hour of Jesus' return. None of us know when it's, not, when it's going to happen. The angels don't know. Not even the Son of Man knew when he was here on earth. Jesus didn't know. Only the Father knows. So look at verse 35, if you've got a Bible. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming imagine somebody going to work or going to school going to college 
Do you enjoy that? Maybe you're looking forward to getting home again. But on this day, you don't make it home. Nobody makes it home because the world has come to an end. That's how sudden it can happen. Or think of going to bed and looking forward to the following day. Or maybe not looking forward to the following day. And then it's not the alarm that wakes you up in the middle of the night. It's the trumpets. The last trumpets. And just like that, Jesus has come. We don't know when it's going to happen. Think. Uh, This is what um, Campbell Morgan said. Campbell Morgan was in Westminster Chapel before Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that perhaps he may interrupt my work and begin his own. That will be ultimate job satisfaction for the minister. I'm not looking for death. I'm looking for him. Imagine Jesus Christ could come back before we have our evening service and we wouldn't need an evening service then. Are you ready? Are you ready? You were ready to come here this morning, weren't you? You had to, I don't know what you have to do because I don't have to do it. But don't you have to book online? Are you ready for that meeting? Are you ready? And it's sudden, it's sudden, Peter said, he will come like a thief, like a thief in the night. Uh, The book of common prayer says, deliver us, O Lord, from sudden death. There is something frightening, isn't there, about dying suddenly. One moment you're here in this little world of time, this fever of a life, and then suddenly your soul is whisked into eternity and you have to stand before God. The suddenness of it is frightening. And then the most important thing is that Jesus Christ is going to come back for final judgments. The destruction of Jerusalem was not final. It was a warning of the second coming. Uh, All the other trials and tribulations that have happened in the world, even their intensification, the apocalyptic language, they're just warnings. Jesus Christ returns that's it he came first as a savior to offer salvation to us he's going to come again not as a savior but as judge and the door will be shut and there'll be no more opportunity and he's going to separate mankind into two groups the sheep Those who have been saved, they will go to eternal life and the goats to eternal death. We've got a confession of faith as a church. Did you know that? We haven't got an AGM this year, but every AGM I read the summary of the confession of faith to church council, to our elders and deacons, and we agree to it. It's one of the most solemn things I ever do. And the confession of faith says this. I just want you to listen to this. If this isn't the most important thing in your life, then I don't know what is. At a day and hour which no man knows, Christ will return personally, visibly, and gloriously to raise the dead, both righteous and unrighteous, and judge all 
unbelievers as a just reward for their sin and impenitence will be banished to everlasting punishments, while believers, because of the mercy of God in Christ, will be admitted into heaven and enter into the joy of their Lord, sharing with him an inheritance in glory. Which group are you going to be in? Are you ready? Am I ready? We were going to sing this hymn this morning, but we haven't got it in our collection. You may know it. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Once for favoured sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending swell the triumphs of his train. Don't you look forward to his second coming more than to revival? Hallelujah. God appears on earth to reign. Handel's Messiah, the climax. Hallelujah. The Hallelujah Chorus. It's a chorus sung by believers when Christ is coming back in judgment. Did you know that? Every island, sea and mountain, even my beloved mountains will be no more. Heaven and earth shall flee away. All who hate him must confounded hear the trump proclaim the day come to judgments come to judgments come away is i know we use the word awesome these days to describe anything <laughs> but isn't that awesome so that's the first question why it's so important i think i've answered that second question how can i be ready how how can i prepare myself for that day so whether i say i'm a christian whether uh, i'm not a christian or whether i don't know what i am <laughs> how can i be ready that's what we need how can i be prepared two things that jesus says two things what's the first thing pray verse 33 take heed watch and pray what do we mean by pray there's a children's hymn which says, I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? I said my prayers for, I can't remember when was the first time I started speaking, but I would have said my prayers for about 14 years. I didn't pray until I was convicted of sin in university. The first time I prayed, I cried from my heart to Jesus Christ to save me. That's pray. Have you ever prayed? Saul of Tarsus, a religious man, the most religious man who ever lived. And God dealt with him and convicted him. And what was the first sign that Saul was converted? God said, behold, he prayeth. He'd often said his prayers, and they were long prayers, because he was a Pharisee. But he'd never really prayed until that moment. And I don't think his first prayer was a long prayer. It was a cry. God be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, when a newborn babe comes into the world, the first thing you hear is the cry. The baby takes its first breath. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. Do you feel yourself breathing, as it were, when you're praying? 
Think of the time of Noah. Uh, this is often used in the Bible as an illustration of the second coming. There was warnings about the flood. People didn't heed the warnings. But Noah was building his ark. And Noah was a preacher. And Noah was telling people, there's only one place you can escape to. It's no good running to the hills. It's no good climbing the highest mountains. There's only one means of escape. The ark, the ark. And we can imagine, can't we, people too late realizing that and maybe crying for the first time to Noah let us in save us but it's too late now Jesus Christ is the ark I am the way no one comes to the father but by me and what we do when we really pray is ask him to save us it's so simple I had somebody come and see me in the vestry once and they asked me they were seeking Jesus Christ and they asked me if I could write a prayer out for them. They don't need that. You don't need that. You just need to pray. Help, Lord. Isn't that one of the greatest prayers in the Bible? Peter sinking. All he could say was, help, Lord. Another great prayer. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The prayer of the tax collector. So pray. Let me give you a promise. Uh, Paul in Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Hallelujah. Whoever calls. And by call there, it means pray. That's how believers were first defined. In the book of Genesis, it says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are only two kinds of persons in this room this morning. Those who are relying on themselves and those who are calling on Jesus Christ to save them. Let me give you an example. Again, this is one of my favorite prayers. The thief. Uh, one thief next to Jesus didn't believe. The other thief did. And what did he say to Jesus Christ? This is a prayer for you. Lord, how many words were there? Lord, remember me. And he said, when you come into your kingdom, I'm mixing my, I, I'm counting consonants as well now. Um, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. Mr. Spurgeon. Are you very sick and weak? Are you getting very poor? Maybe you're worried about losing your job. Well, your health and your property one day will pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But Christ's words will never pass away. Are you dying? Christ's words will never die or pass away. Die with them in your heart. How can I be ready for the second coming? Pray to Christ. And in praying to him, you are depending on his promise. The name of the Lord. He's the ark. He's the only way of escape. 
as I said to the children, Jesus on the cross bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we can be reconciled to God. I can trust his word. I can't trust my feelings. I'm a Welshman. My feelings are like this. I can't trust the church because we're human. I can't trust even my hero's words. Martin Lloyd-Jones, just a man. But I can base my whole hope for eternity on the word of Jesus Christ. And you can as well. You know, when you get to a certain age, you have to think about doing your will, don't you? And a will is a legal document. It stands. This is the will of the God who cannot lie. And the God who, the Bible says, is impossible for him to lie. Do you know what he says? Believe on the Son and you will have everlasting life. Praise God. It's not what I feel or do that can save this guilty soul. It's the word. Jesus Christ is the word. That, that's how you prepare for this day. You see, none of us are going to be ready in and of ourselves. We're all going to fail before the judge of all the earth. But if we're in Christ, if we're resting in him, then his righteousness is shielding us. My hope is built, can you say this? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That talks about the most ecstatic of religious feelings but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Have you heard of Voltaire? Uh, 18th century writer, didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know what he said in the 18th century? Do you know what he said? 50 years, in 50 years' time, in the 18th century, he said this, no one will remember Jesus. Well, he was wrong, wasn't he? Do you know what happened 50 years after Voltaire said that? Do you know what happened? God has a sense of humor, you know. The house where he lived in Geneva was bought by the Genevan Bible Society. <laughs> and the house of the man that said one day the words of Christ will never be remembered became a place where the word was printed and sent to the world. Isn't that amazing? Heaven and earth shall pass away. Your problems shall pass away. You shall pass away. But the word, depend on it. I can't stake my eternity on anybody else's word, only what Jesus Christ has said. And then one last thing. Pray and watch. Watch. What does that mean? J.C. Ryle called it perpetual preparedness. What did that mean? Uh, what did he mean by that? Well, how, how do I become a Christian? 
what I did when I was a student was I called on Jesus to save me. Before that, I trusted in my own righteousness. Now I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. And what happened to me after that? Well, it's quite simple. I carried on in that way. So you begin to trust in Jesus Christ. You begin to follow him. You've turned your back on certain things. You've left behind those things that displease him. And you're following the Lord. You're going in a new direction. Yes, you still fall. You still fail. But you get back on your feet and you carry on. So that, that's what he means by watching. It doesn't mean you stop and don't do anything. No, the people in the house here, uh, they were given tasks to do. They, they didn't just uh, stop their work. They worked waiting. So how do I prepare? I make sure that I'm in Christ, that I'm saved for eternity. But that's not just an insurance policy. I keep on following Jesus Christ. So every day... I have what I call a quiet time. I don't like the term quiet time because it gives the wrong idea. But do you know what a quiet time is? You know, you know what you do? You speak to God in prayer. And he speaks to you in his word. You, you feed on the word. You have fellowship with God's people. Uh, we encourage one another. And we're not going alone to our eternal home. We're marching as a company. And we just carry on. I'm sorry if it doesn't sound very spectacular, but that's what being a Christian is. I'm still trusting thee, Lord Jesus. Trusting only thee. Trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. I haven't moved on from that. I've moved deeper into knowing Christ. Oh, I can't get over the fact that he loved me and gave himself for me. That the cross isn't just something where he was my substitute, but such love. I can't get my mind around the cross. And eternity is going to be too short to worship him for his love on the cross. My time is going a uh, famous mountaineer, Hermann Bull, Austrian, 1953, saw uh, the British conquer Mount Everest. The Austrians tried to conquer another Himalayan peak called Nanga Parbat. I'm probably mistranslating, mispronouncing it. Nanga Parbat. And the team were attempting to go from advanced camp to the summit. And they had to turn back, apart from one man. Herman Bull. For 40 hours, he went alone to the summit, risking life and limb. One of the greatest feats in mountaineering ever. And somebody asked him, how did you do it? How did you do it? And Bull said, I decided long ago to be ready when the call came. The whole of my climbing life was dedicated to that one end. He's always ready. Are we, are we living in the light of the second coming? When we had Christians come over here from Moldova, they, they couldn't understand why we didn't talk much about the second coming, you know? 
I remember in school, uh, there was a caretaker, a Christian caretaker in the school I taught, and he had a horrible life. His wife wasn't a Christian, and he had a really difficult time. And he was talking to me one lunchtime, and he was talking about the second coming, and I don't think I saw eye to eye with him on all the details of the second coming, but his eyes suddenly lightened up. And do you know what he said? He said, he's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. He was looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to the second coming? The f- do you know what the first coming of Jesus Christ uh, is called? Do you know what the first coming is called? Christmas. Do, do, do you look forward to Christmas? Do, I'm sure you younger ones are looking forward to Christmas Day. Are you looking forward to that day, the second advent? of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll finish with this. One of my favorite illustrations about the second coming. John Wesley, the great preacher, 18th century, somebody asked him, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? Wesley was going from one place preaching uh, to another place preaching when the person asked him the question. Do you know what Wesley did? He took out his diary And he just read his engagements for the following day. In other words, Wesley was living in the light of the second coming. Are we ready? The only way to be ready is to be in Christ. Are we in Christ? Calling on him to save us. Trusting in him, following him. And are we then looking forward to when all wrongs will be put right when he returns for his namesake?